one student, she drew two uh, eyeballs next to each other. And one of them was like seeing the world through a perspective of like pre something, I forget which historical things so I don't care. Um, and then the <laughs> other one, and it was all black and white and like dreary. And then the other one was vividly in color and beautiful. And then she wrote like a five paragraph, just five paragraph essay explaining her drawing. But like, like these kids, it was like, these kids had such a more powerful learning experience and probably understand that content better than any kid that ever got a hundred on the assessment on that same yeah. exact content. Yeah. I mean, when you think back you, like when you were in school, you remember the projects you did, right? You don't remember like, Oh, I remember the, that test. That was a great test. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that one test. Woo. Tested. Out of that. Loved it. I remember the test where I failed. Like I remember the, <laughs> the English test where I didn't read the book and I was like, I'll be fine. I listened in class. Like I remember that. I don't Ugh. remember a single test I ever passed. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the ITCs for All podcast. I'm Billy Watts. I'm Biz Summers. And I'm Katie Fielding. And I'm Daniel Nemro. Uh, before we get started, uh, usual housekeeping stuff. I'm cheating on the what today is uh, thing because I don't like the choices. So I'm going to take our recording day is uh, National Chocolate Cake Day, and we're going to compare and contrast that with the like secondary of what today february 1st is actually national baked alaska day you guys know what anybody know what baked uh baked alaska is Not me really. and my housewife in the 50s so of course <laughs> i do yeah, I thought it sounded like a fish dish at first to me it's I don't not know it's ice cream yeah like, baked in the oven with like a yeah. chocolate coating how do you bake yeah, ice cream oh it has like a meringue over it i think yeah yeah. It, it is a combination of sponge cake, ice cream, and meringue. Those... Yeah. Win, win, win. It's, yeah. It's delicious, but that scares me. I, I, um, I mean, ice cream in an oven? It's one of those desserts that's like a lot of work that someone else should do. Yeah, 100%. I feel that way about most things. Like, you guys always talk about, like, look at this dinner I made. And I'm like, guys, Wegmans is so good at cooking. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sponsored by them yet. <laughs> not yet. Shameless plug. Yeah. We keep saying we're going to tag all these people on Twitter, and we never do. But let's tag Wegmans and ask them to come out with a baked Alaska so Billy can buy it for all of us. <laughs> I don't think you can travel with a baked Alaska. I think it's like one of those things that like you prepare and you eat it right then. I want to find a, a place where you can actually buy baked Alaska at a menu. Restaurants nearby that serve baked Alaska? <laughs> in your now recent searches I'm, I'm looking right now he's Baked also Alaska going to a he's also going to like a fancy restaurant in the 80s apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> look in 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 this world now like i don't know that i'm sure i'm sure sitting down in a restaurant would be nice but I, I need to get this to go but you're telling me i can't get baked alaska to go there are like seven different names also for baked alaska so you might have to look those up it's called a norwegian omelet don't it's make called up words. An, uh, it, there's I there's like two o, there's two other names for it, both which include me using a French accent, which I'm not comfortable doing. Uh -huh. so that's I'm not going to say. I don't want to eat a dessert that's also called an omelet. <laughs> that's fair. That's, yeah, I don't like breakfast for dinner either. Hmm. What? Why? 
It's, would you eat dinner for breakfast? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Stop it right now. Oh, I had lo mein for breakfast yesterday. Cold or hot? Oh, that is my favorite. Chinese food for breakfast is my favorite. Yeah, cold. No, I ate it hot. Ooh. I would eat it either way. Katie, cold or hot? I, I, I am a hot person generally, yeah. but actually cold Chinese food is my one exception to enjoying <sighs> cold things. Cold pizza? No. Oh, no. Yeah. Yes. What? Right now, if I could. <laughs> I was I expecting to you to say right now if I could. So while we're talking about creative <laughs> ways to uh, to eat food, uh, today we wanted to get into some uh, creative things that teachers or students are doing in classrooms, things that we want to see this second nine weeks um, in our schools and that we think teachers and students are capable of. Um, I, I was uh, lucky enough to steal one of the teachers that I work with because uh, I know he's working on something that he's that he's calling an unessay project, and so I, I got him for a few minutes, and uh, I want to play you guys that that conversation. Okay, so Jeff, um, I know about a project that you're working on with your students um, that you have told me is called the unessay. Could you explain that to me uh, and use as many big or little words as you'd like? Well, the so the unessay is for the student that does not want to write a 1,250 word essay. Um, analyzing primary sources, which I think is a perfectly fun option, but the kids think differently. Uh, so the NSA, basically, you can present anything you want any way you want, as long as you are meeting the chief objectives of the, of the assessment, which is tell me a story about American history from its founding through the Civil War um, that circulates around a theme. And I, I give them a, a couple of, uh, a few options, like America at war, gender in society, nationalism and patriotism. Um, most of them go with one, go, to, go with struggles for equality, because that's something we, obviously in a U.S. history class, we spend a lot of time talking about. So, so, so when I say anything, it can be whatever they want. I, I um, love, I love that like the, the math teacher in me gets instantly jealous when the assignment starts with tell me a story. Because there are not a lot of like, tell me a story about this linear equation. Like, there's not a whole lot of that. Well, what, like Pythagoras or Euclid, like those guys are interesting, right? <laughs> I suppose not to me. Um, <laughs> when 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 you lay this out for them, can you give me some garden variety examples of uh, either examples you gave them or just some examples of things that students have turned into you? So the, the directions, I say, you know, art in the medium of your choosing, a short story, a graphic novel, um, a board game. They can do a podcast, make a website, write a script for a Broadway play. Um, and so far, I've gotten almost all of those examples. I mean, I, I had students do a uh, late night talk show where the theme is race in America. Uh, and it's done. And, and again, the, this I feel like the 21st century student's ability to edit videos and make, make things entertaining uh, blows me away. Yeah. Um, I have kids doing movies, um, several art projects. Um, we have a kid did a version of Jeopardy. I had a student, two students do the ABCs of women's oppression. And it's basically like, kind of like Dr. Seuss's ABC book. Um, but with a, on a lot more serious topic, right. Um, we had digital art. I have a, a student that made uh, a, a monster of Thomas Jefferson staring at um, a slave, a a woman, and a Native American. Um, and the the the, pic the way Thomas Jefferson is depicted is 
quite horrifying, but it's a very effective um, piece of art. Uh, there are lots of examples. Uh, and honestly, it's, you know, I still have some that are, that are coming in. So I know that I, I have one kid, I think they said they were doing storyboards. Uh, I was excited about that one. I have a, one group that was doing something with, with music. Uh, so there's lots of good ideas. That, that, that's just what I've seen so far. I, I hope when you're done, we can find a way to compile all of the, like, Mr. Hampson's unessays to show everybody how cool this is. Uh, not just I, it's it's neat talking to you about it because I can see that like it, it was probably fun for the kids to do. They probably still got value of looking into these topics in American history and analyzing them and telling the story. And then it's it, it's been enjoyable, I think, for you. Do you do you think in a non-pandemic, non-virtual school setting, is this something that you'll continue to do? I will try to do it in every class I teach. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. If we can find a way to share these, we're going to share them with everybody. Uh, I'm here for that. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. No problem. So, so that was Jeff Hampson. He teaches uh, AP U.S. History, dual enrollment uh, U.S. History, and AP Research at the school I work at. And he sent me one this morning that he wanted me to share also just to add on his little cherry on top for that. And it was he, has a, he had a student do a one-man show. Um, that included everything from like uh, Abigail Adams writing to John Adams as a TikTok um, that he's he does little skits and then leaves the skit and analyzes the skit by just looking into the camera and talking about it. Um, and, and I think he got at what we were going to talk about, which is why I want to talk to him. And that is that he found a way to assess the objective in a way that maybe wasn't traditional. And because of where we are and what we're doing, he knows that he can incorporate that in the future. And I know that's something that all of us want to try to do. Uh, Billy, what was your reaction to hearing that? I felt so, well, one, I feel like I want a Jeff everywhere. Um, yeah. Just in the, in the sense that you want that voice at the table. When, when you're as a CLT planning, I feel we go back to what can we mass give feedback on? And, and he's taking a risk there and that it could completely flop and he could feel that he spent an entire month on a unit giving content, but not really having any tangible feedback to be able to go back and say, how do I adjust my, my instruction? Um, but then at the other part of me, I wondered just how, how the students must feel so free and to actually talk about the content in a way that's more than just, I'm studying for this test, I'm turning in this worksheet, I'm taking this quiz, and then I'm writing a, when do, how many words did he say? 1,250, he's such a <laughs> right, nerd. Right, 1,250 words. And I think when you think of the students and making a, a, a TikTok one-man show or, or making a storyboard or creating art, they're spending way more time on that part of the project than they would ever spend writing 1,250-word essay. Yeah, Katie, I, I, it's funny that we've been doing enough stuff together on Zoom and things that I, I knew there was a part that Katie was going to start nodding her head yes to. And it's when Jeff talked about that he was blown away by 21st century students' abilities to edit and create video and things like that. Why, why did that uh, resonate with you? Yeah, because they, they are so talented and they know how to do all the things they don't understand the the black box of technology, but they know how to do the things, Love that. Um, which is really cool. But my 
I love this and I loved everything you shared, but I do want to share a caution or um, maybe a, a flip side to this. And, and that is like choice overload or the paradox of choice. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to scaffold giving ch- students unlimited choice um, and, and work up to it for some students. Like he's an AP class. So, you know, maybe through the year they've been doing things where they had uh, a few choices and now it's like, you know, here's a whole list. Um, for some students, you're going to have to give, you know, two or three choices only um, to really get them uh, prepared for the choice making process, moving towards that um, idea of, you know, student driven learning, and they're really driving the process. For some students, we're going to have to provide them some steps along the way before they get to that ultimate, hey, the world is my oyster moment. Right. Um, and that's, um, I actually heard a great uh podcast episode recently with Katie Novak, who is a a UDL practitioner talking about this very topic and how, you know, when we're doing student-driven learning and choice learning, that we really have to build in steps to prepare students for that, or else they're just not going to make a choice. Like they're going to be like too many choices. No, nope. I'm not going to even, I can't choose the right one for me. So I'm not, I'm going to choose none and I'm going to do none. That's a great point. That's a great point. He, uh, I know I, I just, cause he's at my school. So I know that earlier in the year, they've done some podcast stuff. They've done some website building. So there is some of that, but I think that's a great point that we have to stress to be intentional with our students of before you get to the, you know, ev- the, the golden corral of technology projects. Golden corral. They have, well, I mean, they have everything. Do they have baked um, Alaska? That, that's a great point for teachers. So, if we're, you know, that's good guidance that if we're saying this is something to try, you know, give them some options and then build your way up to, you know, do everything. And yeah. even when you get to the do everything, still only have really three options. Like here's a recommendation, here's a recommendation or build your own projects. Like the build your own that like, yeah. if you, if you had a list of 10 things, even still, that might still overwhelm kids. So yeah. just kind of um, like, so do you mean, do you mean like saying like, all right, uh, do a podcast, do a website, right. Or come up with something on your it, own. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's because then you're going to have the creative students. that are going to do that, but you've also given the, I, I, I'll, I'll self-identify not a creative student. I now have a concrete choice where I can pick one. Biz, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I was just thinking really more about what Katie said, because obviously I loved it, right? I feel like that goes without saying. I was excited the entire time. But I was thinking not not just about how to get students to that point, but also how he got there as a teacher. My assumption is that he didn't jump right from essay to un-essay. And I'd love to know more about his process of the way he was able to take small risks um, with giving students more choice and giving them more options and opportunities to express what they know um, before he got to this place of where, like Billy said, where the students have just so much freedom. Um, And I I love that idea. And I think it's really important that teachers model that too for kids, that that taking risks in small and then bigger steps. I think sometimes too, we, we, we have students that are creative in so many different ways that we're allowing kids to tap into their strengths to demonstrate knowledge or proficiency on an objective that maybe isn't super creative. So if we're saying that we want to guide teachers, how, how do we get teachers down a path where they don't feel overwhelmed by this, where they have like the, the capacity to try different things and know what good is building rubrics, like Katie, I'll go back to you on that. Like, how do you think we start with teachers to get them to where they're comfortable to do that? 
Yeah. I think a lot of times teachers aren't comfortable because they themselves don't know these tools and they don't know how to assist students in, in maybe creating these things. So, you know, taking some professional opportunities like the Adobe Creative Cohort that we have coming up in Prince William County. Shameless plug. I had no idea you were going to bring that up. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Shameless plug. Um, You know, learning those tools um, and using them yourself, build your own portfolio of stuff. And and then, then you'll be more comfortable using it with students. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I put that on a T there for you for the for the self. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a shameless plug, but yeah, it's a self yeah. pitch. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's gonna be awesome. Um, Biz, do you do you are there things that you think that we can push teachers to do or push students to do in this light right away? Like, if you were gonna start with a teacher and say. Because so, this happens to me, I'm sure it happens to all of us. Teacher will come to me and say, "Hey, I've been giving this same product for however x amount of years. I want to do it different. What can I do?" And that's when I'm like, um, "Is there a way in that scenario? How do we make teachers feel comfortable outside of attending Awesome PD put on by awesome people? How do we how do we get people comfortable to do that and then and then have that translate to students?" Yeah, I think if a teacher came to me and and brought me that problem, the first thing I would say to them is like, what aren't you seeing that you want to be seeing? And that I think would be the the guiding questions where we tried to to figure out the best way to address that project. Um, And I I think that a lot of teachers will say, you know, I'm not seeing individuality and creativity. Um, I think like Katie said, the biggest hurdle is getting them over being like, I can't assign a project if I myself don't know how to do it but um, building in those choices are okay, right? Like, I don't, I don't know how to TikTok. Maybe that makes me really old to say, but I'm not uncomfortable with the idea of a student using a TikTok format. Right. Um, and so I think also just showing teachers, like this is an example of something someone has done in another class. Here's something we know they're capable of. So don't let your, the things you're not yet capable of hold them back. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, I, I have teachers all the time where um, in previous years where we'd be, I'd go into their classroom and they'd be like, I, I want them to do something like that, but I don't know how to do it. And and what I try to stress to teachers, you don't have to know how. Um, the kids oftentimes will either show you or they don't need to show you. They'll just do it and turn it in. Um, Billy, you you are able somehow to get kit, to get teachers you work with to try all sorts of things from building games and blocks to podcasting to to video creation. I feel like this is something that you are really good at that that I personally that I can be better at. How do you get teachers to say, okay, this is I'm going to take this 33 question multiple choice test I've done and ditch that and try this or take this essay and ditch that and make a video game like how do we get teachers comfortable in a place where they're comfortable enough to and and feel free enough in their grade book too by the way to to do some of that so for me it starts with I awkwardly sit in the room and just hang out with the teacher in a in a real life scenario Awkwardly on sit. the floor, <laughs> on the floor, of course, because we've discussed this. Sit, <laughs> sit in the room and just hang out enough days that one, I'm not the new person coming in talking about a new project for the students. I'm somebody that the the students have seen repeatedly. But then also in between classes and during planning periods, I can initiate that conversation to say, that was amazing. I have an idea. And then a lot of times I just find a way to fit into their calendar. I will say that in this virtual world, I think we've fallen back on what we knew was tried and tested in the past. 
And I think we're a little frustrated that our students are not as successful virtually as they have been uh, when they were in person. I think allowing kids to have choice, and I definitely think directed choice, is is very important. And it goes a little bit to what we talked about in the previous episode. And then in being able to say, I'm going to grade less. That I'm going to... I'm Two willing, episodes in a row. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to put more eggs in my basket, so to speak. And I'm willing to say that I bank that a student will display mastery through some project or some, and it, it can be an essay and it, it can be a quiz. It can be all those options. And I think it's important to let kids take that. Recently, I did this in a sociology class. And I think when we were designing the rubric, she really wanted to design the rubric, a separate rubric for the research, a separate rubric for the timeline, a separate rubric for the podcast. And I said, really, it is one rubric. It's one rubric that addresses the skills what you're really doing is you're giving kids three options to show mastery. Can they show it in their research? Can they show it in their interactive timeline? Shameless plug for Satori. Or can they show it in the podcast that they create? You might get a student that during the research, it clicked. But when you ask them to create interactive multimedia, they flopped. Or when you ask them to record a conversation, they failed. But on the flip side, you might get a, get a student who at the very end, when they were just talking when there was no expectations except let me tell you what I know, that's when it really crystallized. The real um, hiccup, and she had recently messaged me and said, a little bit of frustration, we're coming at the end of a semester. You had students who from November's project were submitting it in January. And the frustration from a teacher of saying, this, this kid is just now submitting this project. And I, I came back with, but if it's their expression and if it is creativity, is there really a hard deadline? So that's what I would ask. Is there a hard deadline when you're saying create art of Thomas Jefferson? Um, do, do you put a week on that? Do you put three days on that? Yeah, I don't know. It would take me a lifetime. <laughs> and are you okay if it is turned in later, but it showed this, this yeah. level of mastery that wasn't just I rushed it to get it done? Yeah. So two things. Um, I, I'm excited to like circle back with Jeff next year or later this year, whenever it happens. And he's in a whatever normal is class and see what on essays look like then. Um, I don't know if this is intentional on your guys part. It is on mine. I try really hard not to touch. I feel like the third rail of like our podcast, there's like teachers and students and that third rail is administrative. Mm topics and i try Let's not jump to talk on about <laughs> i try i try not to talk about that because i just don't i don't want to live there with what we're talking about but i do think with something like this do you think that administrative support for this kind of like you know <laughs> free range kind of like project with no due date and no specific like this is very billy's giggling uh <laughs> free range billy type project is is something that how do we get administrator buy-in or like, you know, biz, is this something that if you wanted a teacher to do, do you think that that is, do we have to sell it to admin first or, or, or is that, do we need administrative support to do stuff? I think sometimes teachers, I'll say this. I think sometimes teachers are hesitant to try things like this because of fear of what will an administrator say to a parent that wants to know, how's my kid getting graded on a coloring project? You know, uh, I, I, what do, I don't know. What do we do? I, I guess, 
I never thought about this because I've been lucky enough to work at a school where there's a lot of trust between administrators and teachers. Um, and I, I think that's really important. I don't think we'll solve that in a podcast, but um, I, I do think if the teacher can clearly state to the students or the parents or the administrators, if they have that response ready, here's the objectives it's meeting and here's how this project shows mastery. Yeah. I don't know how anybody could argue with that. Yeah, Katie, what do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, if the the rubric that goes with the project is solid, I think that's going to be a, a great um, place that, you know, an administrator can lean on when they're talking to the parent. Like, see, the student has to show the standards in this project, and that's what they're being assessed on, not how good the piece of artwork is. Um, and also, like, I think principals should be fostering this idea of building creativity within their school and fostering creativity. It is a huge 21st century work skill. Um, this is what the workplace looks like of the future and of now is being creative, whether you're coding and you're getting creative in your code or whether you're a marketer and you need to do digital marketing. Like these are all skills, um, these creative skills that, that play into um, the real future lives of students. Yeah, I, th I think Billy's point about the rubric and then you two echoing that I think is the most important that it's not, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to judge a student's artwork or their TikTok ability or, or any of those things. But if the rubric is simply, did the student demonstrate mastery when compared to the objective? And if you, uh, I'm not a, a good rubric maker, but uh, another, another plug, Kathy Schrock's Guide to Everything, uh, there's a whole rubric section on her website and there's a, she, you don't have to make a rubric. Kathy has made them all, uh, or 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 sourced them all from other places. There's a rubric for for everything. Uh, Billy, do you have a rubric source that you like, or is no? So I when I'm with teachers, and I have a lot of teachers, when I get them to trust me enough to take this risk, uh, they will always call me in for the rubric process, yeah. and and they always want to make it on the tangible product that you grade. And I'm always no. It's about the skill. And so it's really just getting teachers to, to articulate a kid knows this skill if they can do blank. And then yeah. let's step back into what would be the scaffolding that you would need to provide a student if they didn't get a four and they got a two, what are they missing that you need to go back and reteach? So having that kind of lesson plan design with them really helps them build better rubrics. I, I do think the the struggle though is when we were in person and we were just speaking from a high school perspective, a kid was almost held hostage in your room for 90 minutes. If they leave, it's, it's, they're skipping or they took a 20 minute bathroom break, you know? And so they're held hostage, but in a virtual on zoom situation, you could turn your camera off and walk away. And so I, what I loved about Jeff, Jeff's uh, unessays was that he was allowing kids to buy in to the lesson and giving them ownership and letting them buy into the lesson meant that he had to take a step back. And that's hard. It's even harder in a pandemic hybrid world, but it's, it's just hard as educators to be like the students, especially at the high school level, have to have some kind of a buy-in to learn math. And, and, and Dan, what, what is the buy-in that you give students to why math even matters? That was not a tee up question. No, uh, no, that's a hard part about teaching math. And, and I, there are content areas that I think this is complicated. I, I always stress to my students that teaching 
teaching math was less about the math and more about expanding their brain's ability to learn and learn and do different things. It's why this kind of exercise, I think I would have, I would have enjoyed as a student um, in the nerdiest way, because this is stuff I was not good at. I, I was like, uh, Jeff, I'll write the 1250 page paper because right. I'll, I'll crank out a great paper or I will do the 40 math problems and I'll show my work perfect and it'll be great. Um, and that's okay. But I, right, it is. That was, and that was okay in the 90s and early 2000s when that's what we had to do. But to, but to that's Katie's, because the alternates were like styrofoam balls. Right. Like, I <laughs> right, mean, right. like yes. making <laughs> things with styrofoam balls. Like if, if, if yeah, if I how, had di- digital things that I could have done, man, oh my God, I would have blown yeah, I, how do you away. Paper, how do you paper mache the quadratic equation? Um, I, I think that's where, and it was to your point earlier, Katie, of, of these students are so creative um, that, that I think that what we're doing is we're expanding how they think because again, to your, uh, also to your point, Katie, that, that this is the future of the workplace. This is the future of society that, that, you know, we have students, they're going to have jobs using technology that hasn't been invented yet. Um, that's crazy. And, and it's a hundred percent true. I mean, think of the things that we use every day that didn't exist five years ago, 10 years ago, like, um, and so I think what we're doing, if you can find a way to incorporate this project or other creative projects into your assessments or into your lessons or into your curriculum, you're not just that objective, but you are expanding that kid's ability and capacity for future classes and future vocation and, and just future of themselves. They're going to be better at X, whatever that is, because instead of writing an essay, they, 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 you know, did a one man play on Thomas Jefferson. Um, any, any, any final thoughts on creative projects coming up or things we want to focus on second semester, Katie? Just that like letting students be creative and not following a step-by-step process for everything you assign is so important for building those skills for the future. Like they have to maybe hunt around and figure things out a little bit because that's just what we do in life. Yeah, agreed. Biz? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that I always, I had to do when I was teaching, when I had my kids with a little more choice about what they wanted to do, they would start, and this I think is especially true at the middle school level, they'd say, I want to make a whatever. And then they'd be like, hey, how do I change the font color here? And I'd be like, I don't know. I've never used that thing before. Let's learn together. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we'd, we'd practice that skill, which I think was hugely important. Like if you come up against a problem and you don't know how to fix it, how do we find an answer for that? And how do we work out that skill? So yeah. um, you don't have to feel like you have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to learn along with your kids. Oh God, that's awesome. Yeah. The process of figuring it out sometimes is the actual learning that we're doing. All right, everybody, that's, that's it for today's episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find all of our stuff on itcsforall.com. See you next week. This was good.